Good morning, church. I'll explain this in a second, in a little bit. But uh, good to see you guys all. Some of you, I know you have your masks on, so if you can just give me a thumbs up, you're alive, you're awake, you're ready to go, awesome, good. Because I just can't see your smiling faces all the time. So any interaction you can give is always appreciated. Uh, I like an interactive audience. Doesn't throw me off. I love it. So I'm glad you're here uh, with us. We are also, if you're joining us online, glad you're also, I can't see you, but uh, if you're on your couch, in your bed, whatever it may be, I'm glad you're also, you can give a thumbs up to the screen. Uh, I can't see it, but still, hey, it's worth it, right? Glad you're here. Uh, We are in this last sermon in the series, Unstoppable Church. And this is the last sermon in this four-part series, looking at answering the question, what does the church do? What What does Scripture say that the church is to do? And when it does do those things, it's an unstoppable church. It's unstoppable in bringing life change found through Jesus Christ to people's lives, that they can experience hope, peace, love, and joy that comes from a relationship with God. And so we've been looking at this acronym, WIFE, which really comes in based off of the church being called in Scripture the Bride of Christ. So we've been looking at what does the church do by, through this acronym of worship, instruction, fellowship, and today, evangelism. And so evangelism really means just sharing the good news or discipling others. And I'm going to, in fact, use three terms interchangeably. Evangelism, discipling, mission. So if you hear any of those words, I'm meaning the same thing about the church being on mission. And uh, just another housekeeping item for you to know is we have a resource online uh, called Living on Mission Guide. You, you want to check that out because a lot of what I'm talking about this morning has some real practical tips of how do you engage with people in, on conversation, how do you live on mission, and it's just a real quick guide that will help you start to take steps in that. Now, I told you I'd get to the skateboard. I'll tell you about it. Well, this is my skateboard from college. Uh, And when I would ride this thing back in college, I just felt unstoppable. I mean, rail slides, tail slides, you see all this ollieing, even grinding on the trucks. I would feel unstoppable. Until maybe two weeks ago. (laughs) I felt unstoppable back in college because I thought I couldn't break a bone, nothing could happen. Well, two weeks ago, I was on that board at 41 years old, and I broke a bone. I broke my radial head el- uh, bone going to my elbow right here, um, and it's healing a lot better now, and I'm able to move it and do some things, but not full, put full weight on it. Uh, I think my pride was probably a little bit more hurt than my actual bone, uh, because it happened right here in the church parking lot during the 11 a.m. service two weeks ago, and I quickly got up and made sure no one saw me and ran right into the office and hopefully you didn't see me. If you did, you win a thousand dollars. I don't know. Um, but I tell the story sometimes to people and either I get two responses. One, they say, well, that's great. At least you didn't like trip over your feet. It was something cool, skateboarding. Or I get another response. What are you, an idiot? You're old. What's wrong with you? Stop skating. You know, you're, you're getting older. You're 41. It's time to retire that. I probably will just stick to surfing because the water is a lot more giving. Uh, 
But if I was to use this skateboard and myself on this board as an illustration for the unstoppable mission of the church, that'd be a really terrible uh, illustration for that purpose. I would think more of the unstoppable mission of the church when I think about that phrase. I think of more of a tank. You know, a tank is unstoppable. I mean, if there's an enemy coming its way, that tank is probably going to run that thing over. My lifelong dream, in fact, is actually not lifelong dream. I have many dreams, but one of them is to drive a tank. I would love to. My grandfather did during World War II. He wasn't supposed to, but he just happened to, no one else would ride it, and he did. What an opportunity of a lifetime, and I would love to drive a tank. That thing is unstoppable when you think about it. The whole purpose of even of the tank. And so when I think about the church, I think about that. And I think about the mission of the church, I think about how unstoppable Jesus promises the church to be. Because he's given us his spirit to empower us. You see that all through Acts. We were just going through Acts a couple months ago. And he's given us this mission that comes with a promise that all authority has been given to Jesus. And then he tells us to go, therefore, in Matthew 28, 19, and to make disciples of all nations. To make disciples. People that follow Jesus and experience the life change that comes through Jesus. Now, this is not something that is just a program in the church. Mission. No, all of us, we are the church. All of us to be missionally engaged. This is part of our vision statement, is that each of us all be missionally engaged because there's a mission that God has called to each of us. Not only giving us a new identity, but a new calling to live our lives on mission and discipling others and bringing people to Jesus. Now, when I think about that, though, if we're all honest, and if I'm honest and you're honest, sometimes we can be a little bit maybe disillusioned or discouraged or distracted or derailed when it comes to the mission. When it comes to living our life on mission, sometimes we can feel disillusioned. We don't know where to start. We don't know where to begin. Or maybe you, you are a little discouraged too. You thought, well, yeah, when I became a Christian back when I was younger and I had this passion, this fire, I felt unstoppable, kind of like how I felt like on this board. But now I'm a little, I feel a little older seasoned and I, I tried things and some things don't work and you feel a little discouraged. You feel a little disappointed when you have tried to live your life on mission. Maybe it feels hard. Maybe there is in fact even some fear that sometimes dominates you. Fear is a very real thing. I don't know if that's something that you're wrestling with. We could also feel distracted at times as well. You're thinking, well, you know, I'm busy. I have lots of things. The life has changed now because of this pandemic. And you're a little distracted. And somehow, sometimes missing, though, the opportunities that God has actually put in front of you even in the midst of all that busyness. Or some of us are just so distracted maybe because we say we want to live on mission, but we really, it doesn't show up really. Our priority maybe is really just um, home, health, hefty 401k so I could live my days away retired. I'm not saying those things are bad, but is it distracting you from the mission that God has called you? Or some may even be derailed from the mission. 
What I mean by that is you started on the mission and you're saying, yeah, I want to live on mission. I want to help in discipling others. I want to help others experience change in Jesus. Maybe you got involved even some ministries here, maybe involved in Alpha or something like that or whatever it may be, but you kind of got derailed because it started to now become a little bit about how it feeds your sense of value. Maybe it's, you know, you're like, you started getting gifted in teaching the word, and maybe it's really become a little bit more about you wanting to impress others. Or maybe you want to lead other people to Christ because you want to get a little bit more of the approval of others. It's a tricky little thing of getting derailed. And it becomes more about you and not actually about Jesus and helping others. There's many different reasons why we may be not living on mission. We could be discouraged. We could be distracted. We could be derailed. But what I want to submit to you this morning is that what keeps us on mission and from being discouraged or being distracted or being derailed is embracing Jesus' way of living on mission. It should be incredibly encouraging for you and I when we see the way Jesus lived his life on mission and wants us to live in the same way. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. That church, you can do this. That church, you have the spirit. That church, you can do this because Jesus has showed us how we are to do this. And so the church will be unstoppable that's my main point for you, that the church will be unstoppable when we embrace Jesus' way of living on mission. So what is that way? Well, I think Mark 1 shows us a beautiful example of how Jesus lived his life on mission. And I'll say it, and I'll sum it up like this, and then we'll walk through each of these phrases in this statement. Jesus' way of living on mission is rooted in identity, focused on discipling others with spiritual authority and compassion. Rooted in identity, focused on discipling others towards life change with spiritual authority and compassion. And we see in this passage, these three things show up in how Jesus lived his life on mission. So let's start in verse 9 in looking at the first point there of being rooted in identity. You and I, if we're going to embrace Jesus' way of living on mission, need to embrace our identity of who we are. And this is so important. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this because it's so important as you get started in living your life on mission. Because the start of Jesus' earthly mission is rooted in his identity. Look at verse 9. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The start of Jesus' earthly mission is rooted in his identity. And we see a glimpse here of the Trinity. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Existing right there, we see this glimpse of the Trinity. All present. And Pastor Glenn shared about this last week. About how perfect love exists within the Godhead. 
And if your mind is kind of bl being blown right now and you can't fully grasp it, that's because God is God. And there are things that are just going to blow our mind out of the water into fully trying to comprehend that he's one God and three persons. And there's this dance, as Pastor Glenn talked about, where each are pouring perfect love into one another. And you see this happen in this intimate moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss it where the Father says, you are my beloved son. You, I love so much. I am well pleased in you. Don't you long to hear that from the Father? Don't you love, wouldn't you love to hear that from the Father say that about you? Well, don't you know he does? He does. And each and every day, I believe, without a shadow of doubt, he wants to tell you that. In fact, 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. That's a truth you can know. And Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, they want you to know of your identity, that you are a child of God if you are in Christ. And God is spiritually forming you all this, this time in your life of following Jesus, the sanctification process. He is wanting to form in you a deeper and rooting you deeper of your identity in him that you are a child of God and that you are loved by him and that he is pleased with you and that he loves you. This is what Jesus, this is what God is wanting to do in us because our identity is the very foundation of who you are. Your identity is the very foundation of who you are. What you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. What you believe about God and what, how he views you is the foundation. Think about the foundation of a building. If that foundation of the building is faulty, if it's cracked, if it can't support, the rest of the building is going to do what? Collapse. A faulty foundation will just create cracks, it will create pain, it will call it to fall down. Or think about when, I know when I was little, or not when I was little, when my kids were little, and we would build forts in the living room. How many like to do that with your kids? How many did that when you're little, right? Okay, you're building forts and pillow forts, and I would tell the kids, hey, you gotta get the foundation right. If you don't get the foundation right, that thing's coming down on you kids. Or think of this skateboard. Here's another part of the story I did not tell you of why I fell. You see, I broke my arm because what was happening that I forgot. This was a board I hadn't ridden since college, and I forgot the reason why I wasn't riding it because I was going to take it apart and hang it up in my office. I decided I'll take a couple pushes on it going into the office, and I forgot that the board was cracked and the trucks actually were moving. I don't know if you could see that. And because this foundation was faulty underneath my feet, I just ended up spilling immediately onto the pavement. And what can happen for you and I, what you believe about God and yourself is the foundation of your life. It is your identity and a faulty foundation will just create cracks, will create pain, it will create sometimes some brokenness that you will experience in your life. The foundation of your soul is so important. And your identity being rooted in Christ and what he says about you is the foundation for your life. 
And a faulty foundation is often sometimes built off of not that truth of what God says about you, but of other lies. And they're so subtle. And I can think of three core lies sometimes we build our identity around and our sense of value. And ask yourself if any of these can trip you up. The first one is the performance lie. This is saying the issue of your value is dependent upon your performance. It sounds very American, doesn't it? You do well, you get rewarded. You don't do well, you don't get rewarded. It gets very tricky, though, when it becomes religious. And we start thinking that if I do well, I'll get more of God's reward. If I'm not doing well, that's probably why things are going terrible in life. And God is somehow really mad at me. He doesn't want to really probably be with me. We start measuring our value by how well we're doing. When we're doing well in the Christian life, we're up. When we're doing not so well, we're kind of down. I remember when first starting getting into pastoral ministry and starting to preach, I would get often sometimes hung up over if a sermon went really bad. And so I would sometimes come home and I would say, hey, Maria, that's my wife. And I would say, hey, what'd you think about the sermon? Well, how do you think it went? And I love my wife that she's honest with me and I'm glad she is and she doesn't just tell me every sermon's great. And she would say, well, that one, nah. And, and I would just get all bent out of shape, maybe defensive about, well, this is what I was trying to say, you know what you think? And, and I would get a little down. Now I don't care. You can think this is the worst sermon in the world. I don't care. Um, it's not my performance. That's not what matters. That's not where I get my sense of value. Or maybe some of you are getting it off of your approval. The approval lie, the issue of your value somehow is dependent on whether certain people love you or they like you. And so some of you just feel anxiety when someone's upset with you. Or you, maybe you feel a little bit of resentment because you've been trying to win the approval of this person and no matter what you do, it just feels like you can never get their approval and then you just get very bitter towards them and kind of cancel them out. Or think about the control lie. Maybe that's your issue that really trips you up. The issue, this is the issue of your values dependent on whether you are in control. So some of you control others, or maybe some of you control your outcomes. Some of you try to tr control your outcomes in life and feeling a sense of value if everything is under control and things are going well. Listen, I'm, I can be driven, I can take charge type of person and I want to control some of the outcomes I care about and if they are not going according to plan, sometimes I could feel really bent out of shape. And I'm building my sense of value off of whether I work hard, I, you know, I want to get good results. And if I don't work hard or, if I do, or bad results happen, I feel bad. Which one of these kind of trips you up? Performance? Approval? Control? These are sometimes things that we can build our identity off of or our sense of value. And it's a faulty foundation. But here's the truth that sets you free. Here's the exciting truth that sets you free. The issue of your value is settled at the cross. 
where you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Father says of you, I love you and I am going to do everything possible to bring you to my heart and so you can experience my love that I have for you. And so that's why my son has died in your place for you and I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can experience my presence. Not just what I say about you, but you can experience my love that I want to pour into you where you hear me say, you are my beloved son and daughter and you I am well, well pleased. Do you tell yourself that? Do you hear God say that? Do you hear it regularly? Because often we'll start to want to build our identity off these other things of performance, approval, or control. You have to be on the proactive side of spending time to let God do that in you. Or even cooperating with the Spirit because sometimes the Spirit will test us just as the Spirit did with Jesus in verse 12, taking him into the wilderness, it says. And he was tested so that he could solidify his identity of who he is as the Son of God. And sometimes the Spirit will do that. He's not trying to test you and punish you. He's wanting to build your identity in him, that you're loved by him because you had some faulty foundation that you were building your identity off of. And this is so important to the mission because of this. If you engage on mission and you're not operating from this foundation that you are a child of God, you're loved by him, and you're hearing it regularly, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will sometimes then try to do mission with trying to build a sense of value of how well you're performing, whether you're witnessing to a bunch of different people, and whether people are coming to Christ or not, or you'll try to gain approval of others. And maybe sometimes you, because you really want people to approve you, you're a little bit fearful of sharing anything about Jesus because you're afraid they're going to reject you. Or control could start to come into place where because you feel like if I don't be able to say the sinner's prayer with this person and lead them to Christ, then I failed in some way. And so then we just never engage because we feel like we're just going to be a failure. We're operating off of these faulty foundations. And that's why it's so important to make sure your identity is rooted in Christ. Because also Jesus started there. As we see, and as he starts his earthly ministry, he made sure that his identity was rooted in who he is as the Son of God, the Father saying in him, in you I am well pleased. And when you embrace your identity, when you embrace your identity, the church's mission will be unstoppable. When you embrace this, this foundation, the church's mission will be unstoppable because Jesus' way of living on mission is rooted in identity. And then now the second thing, it's also focused on discipling others towards life change. It's focused on discipling others towards life change. Now this is where we actually get into the action of living on mission and interacting with others. Look at what Jesus does in verse 14 to 20. Follow along with me. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. 
for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, as you read that and you see them following Jesus, just don't think they were kind of zombified and like, okay, we'll follow you, Jesus, you know. Like, they probably heard of his reputation being spread around. Mark is very quick in how he's writing one event to the other because he's trying to get a point across to you. But they must have heard who Jesus was as he called them to follow him. But also notice before that, Jesus went about proclaiming, it says, the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So there was a proclamation part as well. Now, what we see here is evangelism and discipleship happening. Often, sometimes we separate the two, evangelism and discipleship. Not Jesus. He didn't do that. They go hand in hand together. He did both. In making disciples, no matter where a person is, and taking a step closer into living life in the kingdom that comes through Jesus. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand together. He made disciples. Now, what is a disciple? It's a little bit of an archaic term sometimes. We use it a lot in Christianese language. A disciple simply just means a learner, someone that's a follower. In fact, rabbis then, who were teachers of the law, would have disciples, people that learned from them. And often, a disciple would choose a rabbi. But here, Rabbi Jesus chooses his disciples. Pretty fascinating, pretty cool. Well, what did Jesus want them to learn as they followed him? He wanted them to learn life in the kingdom that he is bringing. That's why it says in the beginning, there in verse 14, he proclaimed the gospel of God. What gospel? That the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. He didn't die and raise from the dead yet. So the gospel, good news that he's telling them about is that he is the one that brings the kingdom of God, a new way of living, that his death and resurrection will open up for all of us. And what is the kingdom of God? It's simply this. It is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered into the world. That we see all this brokenness, death, disease, and it is the restoration of the way things are supposed to be. So if you read the end of the story in Revelation, you see there's a new heavens and a new earth where we are one with God in his presence, living and carrying out the purpose of what we've been called to be as his image bearers. No more death, no more destruction, no more disease. Jesus' kingdom that's what he's bringing. Now, you and I can experience, though, that kingdom now. His rule internally. The life change that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's what he means when he says repent and believe. I like using the word life change for repent and believe in the gospel. He's saying it's time for a change. It's time to turn around, stop living the way you are living, and follow me, my way of kingdom values, my way, the Jesus way, the kingdom way, which looks much different than the world. Because I'll show you what it truly means to love. 
I'll show you, show you truly how, it li- how to live in a wise way that gives glory and honor to me and shows respect to your fellow man. This is what Jesus is wanting them to learn. The life in the kingdom and the life change that comes from Jesus. And he also wanted them to learn something else too. You'll see in verse 17, what does it say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He wants them to also learn how to make other disciples, other followers of Jesus. So it's very simple right there. He wants them to learn life in the kingdom, what it looks like to follow Jesus, and for life change to occur in your heart, and to help others experience that same life change that you experience in Jesus. That's all that discipling is. That's what it is. That's the mission that God has called us to. And I would define it in this way of discipling others towards life change like this. A person who has a life worth emulating that meets with one or two others that they've chosen for a designated duration of time in order to produce a third or fourth generation of disciple makers. Let's break down each of the phrases. A person who has a life worth emulating. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect. This doesn't mean you have to have a degree in Bible. This does not mean you have to have mastered everything that you see in the Bible. It simply means if you experience life change in Jesus over an area in your life, you got something to share. You have something to share and help someone with. Then it says that meets with one or two others that they've chosen. It's not that you need to disciple multitudes. Don't think you have to be a public speaker. There's a few people. God has divinely ordained people around you where you live, work, study, and play. Do you believe that? It's just identifying who are those one or two or three people. And then it also says for a designated duration of time. Doesn't mean you're going to be discipling them forever. Doesn't mean that you're going to be in, you know, stuck with them for life. I think sometimes we get intimidated thinking, oh great, how am I going to fit this in my schedule? It's just for a duration of time. You choose it. Pick out what works for you. You don't have to quit your job and become a pastor. It's just for a duration of time to produce a third or fourth generation of disciple makers. That is, you're making other disciple makers. You're helping them to experience not just the life change that comes through Jesus, but then to be able to say, you know, I just met with you for a little bit and helped you and shared with you what, how Jesus changed my heart in, some, in that area that you're struggling with. And now that you've seen the, some of the things that you've learned, you know, you've got something to share. Why don't you go and share and tell someone else about it, what Jesus did in in your life? It sounds simple, right? Sometimes we just make it too complicated for ourselves and we intimidate ourselves out of it and we get so discouraged. And sometimes we start measuring the wrong things and thinking, well, I don't have this. I don't have this talent. I can't witness this many people. I, I, I'm not going to have the mass audience of people that I could. No, we intimidate ourselves out of it. It's very simple. You're helping people experience life change in Jesus by just sharing your story of what Jesus did in your life and meeting with them. Sometimes, you know, most of the time, discipling and witnessing is just that. It's just sharing your story of what Jesus did in your life and the difference he made in your life. You know, I remember uh, a couple years ago sharing with one of my neighbors. I was struggling just in this one area with parenting. You know, when kids are teenagers, it's 
all your parenting skills go thrown out the window, right? And, and we were struggling in an area, and I was just struggling, and I realized there were some things that I was doing that was contributing to the problem. I was sharing this with my neighbor, who knew I was a pastor, and he says, you know, I'm really encouraged that you shared that. I thought you guys just had all your life together. No. No. No, we don't. <laughs> and I just was sharing with him some of the things that I was learning and struggling with. And I was just sharing, too, that, you know, God was, was showing me a few things about this. And he was struggling with something else. And he started opening it up. And I said, you know what? Let's meet together. Let's just meet, you know, for, you know, maybe every other week and we'll just get together have some coffee and we'll just talk about this and and uh, I could share with you some of the things I've learned and I could listen to you what what's what's going on in your life that's all it is simple it's simple I think sometimes we intimidate ourselves out of it and so here's a few tips that I want to just encourage you with about discipling others and witnessing. And Pastor Marty's going to share even more of how do you engage with people into starting even some of those spiritual conversations next week. But here's a few tips that I, you're going to even find in that mi Living on Mission guide. So I encourage you to check that out. But here's a tip. Ask good soul-probing questions just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus did teach, he did proclaim, but he also asked really, really good soul-probing questions and led people to life change just through questions. Think about some questions like this. And these are questions that are in that guide and have been tried and tested and used. What does it look like for God to go deep in your soul? Just tell the person, you know, don't think about church. Don't think about any, you know, Christians that you ran into or anything. Just let's talk about God in your life. What does it look like for God to go deep in your soul? Let's not talk about morality and all that stuff. Because sometimes that's what people will think Christianity is. Or maybe asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in fill in the blank? Whatever they're struggling with. I think sometimes we rush too quickly to saying, will you commit your life to repent and believe in Jesus? And follow him. And they don't even know why they should follow. Connect it to the struggle that they're going through. Because Jesus wants to help them. Jesus wants to restore the brokenness that they're feeling. And so connect it. What, how, what would it look like to follow Jesus in this area with your spouse that you're struggling with in your marriage? What does it look like to follow Jesus in this area of at work? Just help them think through that. Or one that I, I, I really love, uh, one of my professors has used this and has led hundreds of men to the Lord. He would say this, since God is Father, just tell me a bit about your earthly father and how that shapes how you see, your, how you see God. And then he would just listen. It's fascinating what people will say. Just listen. Just listen. And he led hundreds to the Lord just by asking that simple question. When you embrace discipling others, the simple mission that, God, that Jesus has given to us, the church's mission will be unstoppable. When you and I embrace this, each of us, and not relegate this to a program or subcontract it out to a program, but each of us take this and Jesus' way of living this, the church will be unstoppable. When we're rooted in our identity, focused on discipling others towards life change. But here's the important part. When you engage in this, make sure it's with spiritual authority and compassion. 
because you see Jesus engaging on mission with spiritual authority and compassion. Look at it in verse 21 and 34. Don't go too quickly over what is happening here as Jesus engages in kingdom mission. Look what it says in verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And then check out this. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at that door. What a picture, right? whole city gathered together at that door. And what did Jesus do? He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, this is a little difficult for some of you when you see Jesus doing this. And whenever you come across a passage of Jesus showing his authority and his teaching, in healing, in casting out demons, it's a good idea to set, hit pause and sit on this and ask yourself, do I really believe this about Jesus? Do I really believe this? Do I need to have my faith challenged that Jesus can still do this today? Or have I somehow maybe Americanized Jesus or made Jesus to look a lot, my, a lot like me, but not the Jesus who has all power and authority that we see in scriptures? Because Jesus has authority in his teaching to bring life change to people's lives. He has authority over disease, over death, over the dominion of darkness. And Jesus, though, not only has that authority, but he also has given that authority, the keys of the kingdom, to first the 12 here, the disciples, and then you'll see in the Gospels later to 70, and then to 120, and then to the church, to where he says the gates of hell will not prevail over the mission of the church. Jesus has given that authority to you and I, the power of God, to flow through you, to channel through you, and bringing life change to people's lives, to bringing healing even to people's lives, to bringing, casting out demons out of people's lives, and to setting captives free from the chains of bondage that they are in. Do you believe that Jesus has the power to change that? 
Because some of us get so discouraged because we're, we don't believe in these things about Jesus and we end up doing mission in our own strength, in our own power, sometimes in our own talent or intellect, and we fail because we're not trusting in the power of God. We're trusting in our own strength. And then we get discouraged when nothing happens and we get exhausted or burnt out. Disillusioned. Because guys... We have nothing. We have nothing outside of Christ and his authority. This is why Jesus says when he gave us the mission to make disciples that all authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. The promise that Jesus can change lives and heal. But as we engage in this and live out this authority and trust and ask God to stretch our faith because sometimes I think we're fearful and we're fearful of like well if I, nothing happens I pray over someone or I ask for healing and nothing happens we're, we're making it too much about ourselves God in his wisdom whatever he wants to do alright Jesus isn't nervous and when you engage on mission you don't need to be nervous But when we engage in this, we need to remember we do it with compassion. We help people get free and full in Jesus because we love them. And we do it with compassion. You see Jesus' heart, how he heals people. All those gather at the door, how Simon, his mother-in-law was sick and he was quick to rush and help her with compassion. We serve other people and love people. And sometimes we get derailed because we make the mission about us and it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and others. About loving others. So I think a real simple way that I just want to encourage you to embrace the spiritual authority that Jesus has given to us and with compassion. A simple way to do that is simply by praying with people. Just ask someone, how can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? And don't wait to pray about it, you know, at home. Certainly you can still do that. But pray for them right there. And then just listen to God. Listen to what God wants you to pray over that person. Just this past week, uh, there was a, a guy that came uh, to my house. He had to do, f work on the carbon filter, uh, flush it out for the water filter, um, for the well, and things like that. And uh, he started chatting with me, and he just started opening up. I didn't ever knew. I don't know this guy. He just started opening up and talking more about his life. And I'm thinking, well, this is kind of weird. Dude, I just met you. I don't even know you. Um, but then the Spirit prompted me and saying, Pray with him. Pray with him. He's sharing his heart. And I want him to know that he's loved by me. And so right there and then there, just prayed for him. Listen, pandemic, I know there's not that many people to interact with, but God's going to bring people across your path. If you ask him, if you pray about it, and say, God, open up the opportunities. He can do it. He, raised, he was raised from the dead. He can open up a door for you to share the gospel or to pray for someone. 
And then just listen to God instructing you in your prayer over that person. I'm telling you guys, when you embrace spiritual authority and compassion, you'll have the fuel and the power to be able to live your life on mission. Because when the church embraces Jesus' way of mission, being rooted in identity, focused on discipling others towards life change, with spiritual authority and compassion, I'm telling you guys, it's going to be unstoppable. The church will be unstoppable. I know I used the image of a tank uh, earlier. That's a little bit of aggressive because it feels like you might run over someone. So let me just think about it like this. Bring it a little bit home of th- with this illustration. COVID-19, the vaccine. Part of the strength of a vaccine and widespread vaccination is the strength in numbers that the disease will not be able to overpower people because more are vaccinated. More are able to be able to withstand the disease and makes then people unstoppable over this disease. And you see, when we as the church, each of us embraces this to disciple others, the church is unstoppable. Because it's not just one person that embraces it. It's a multitude of people. Strength in numbers. If each of us embraces this life on mission, the church will be unstoppable in helping people get free and full in Jesus. The church will be unstoppable. This is what Jesus says in John 14, 12, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works that he will do because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean? Not greater in quality, but you're going to do something even better than Jesus in quantity because each of us has the spirit each of us has a new identity each of us has a new calling to disciple each of us has the spiritual authority and compassion and power that comes through God and when each of us engages on this mission can you imagine the light that we bring to the world that seems so dark sometimes I hope you're encouraged by that church because sometimes we, we fail to, to see that. Not just the calling, but the power and the vision that Jesus gives to us in this mission. So I want you to bow your head and, and we're going to just spend a time just to worship the Lord. Because there's a verse there at the end in verse 35, that is very important that Jesus did in living this in mission is that he rose very early in the morning, it says, after he engaged in all this ministry, he says he departed and he went out to a desolate place and he prayed. He prayed. He spent time with the Father. And maybe that's the place where we all need to begin. If we're going to embrace this mission, where we need to begin is being close to the heart of the Father. Never reduce the mission down to what you can do in your own strength. We have nothing except for the authority of Christ. So listen to God and draw near to his heart. Do you need to maybe hear him say, I love you. I'm with you. I'm proud of you. I'll transform you. And I'm well pleased with you.
need to start there and root ourselves in that identity of who we are as his children. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we just even sing this now, God, speak to us. Speak to us what we need to hear from you. Most importantly, we don't just need more skills and tips and things of, of how to live on mission, as helpful that is. We first need to know that we're your children and that you could bring your authority and power through us to help others experience the change that we've experienced because of Jesus. children. And as you go, just remember that, that your identity is rooted in Christ and what he says about you as you go and live on mission and go in that field. God bless. Love you guys.